That's what. Hey, I, I'm game for anything. If you don't yeah. want to do the, <laughs> All right, don't say that with this group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that uh, was recorded. So. Yeah, I guess we'll just we'll just jump into it. And Isn't that like signing a waiver? See where it goes. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fire? <laughs> Having some nice, uh, nice calming background on. I didn't realize you knew what that sounded like from your command vehicle. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Bay Floor Discussions with Ed Pinnell, John Morrison, Brian Cole, and Eric Field with special guest Chief Chris Wentworth. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is our eighth episode, ninth episode. The Mother's Day edition. Ooh, that's right. Day before Mother's Day. We'll call it Mother's Day edition. Uh... We have a uh, another new guest today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Chris Wentworth. I'm the chief of the Denmark Fire Rescue Department. Uh, I've been chief since 2016, uh, member of the department since 2004. Awesome. Good to be here. So, uh, thanks for that, coming. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming in. And uh, so, is that the only department that you've worked with, or what else have you done? I also do uh, work with Freiburg Rescue, uh, covering shifts as an EMT. Okay. Nice. Nice. So, uh, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> well, one of the things uh, that has been uh, an issue, especially over the past 15 months since the pandemic started, um, is the number of outdoor accidents that we're having with people uh, using outdoor recreation. Uh, and I've been involved in wilderness uh, rescue uh, since about 1988. Um, so be well before I got in the fire service, I was involved uh, in the medical side on okay. that kind of backcountry stuff. And uh, we've had uh, 10 different incidents where we had to respond uh, in the backcountry uh, since February of 2019, just in Denmark alone. And uh, we've worked together with both fire and EMS departments. Uh, these types of incidents require a lot of uh, manpower to handle and uh, last October, we hosted a uh, training, a four-hour training uh, at, uh, in Denmark uh, that was presented by Bill Kane from the Bill Kane Schools, and uh, we had four, 43 participants from 13 different departments in the area oh, wow. and nice. came in and we did. It wasn't medical training. It was more logistics and operations, what to do when you get the call toned out for doing a, a lift assist or a carry out. Um, we went through litter carrying, how to handle the litter. Um, we did uh, off-trail work. We also had a couple of departments that brought in their side-by-sides, which uh, the side-by-sides are a tool that we have in our toolbox. They're not able to be used on every single call, right. but whenever we can uh, use them, it certainly adds to patient safety uh, and also the first responder safety as well. Yeah. yeah. Super, so, super labor-intensive. Yeah, manpower intense. I'm trying to think of uh, who taught my wilderness rescue class. I can't remember his name. I think it was an outfit out of New Hampshire. Um, Probably solo. Maybe. Out of Madison. But uh, I remember the instructor came into our paramedic class, and he he kept uh, referring to it as ghetto medicine. Like basically, (laughs) whatever you have in your toolkit, you're going to have to adapt and change things around in order to make them work because there's no going back to the truck to get right. more. And you're right, like um, some of the, the mountains that we went up, you could probably get halfway with a UTV and then the rest of the way you were hauling stuff. Yep. So, The U.S. military trains that you need uh, 32 people to carry one patient one mile. That's four teams of eight working on and off shifts. But when you're actively carrying, the other 24 people are actually helping spot those people. When you get to steep places, they're clearing the trail, um, right. if, assuming that you even have a trail. Um, so it's not that the other 24 people are just standing around doing nothing during their break time. Yeah, yeah, it's right. a constantly evolving uh, of moving uh, those teams of eight in and out carrying the stretcher. And that's with your average person. Uh, we had a, a, a gentleman who uh, rolled his ankle, um, basically destroyed his ankle, right at the summit of Pleasant Mountain about eight years ago. Um, and he was uh, the t- prototypical Marine drill sergeant type, huge upper body, um, yeah. little peg legs. Uh, and it was difficult in that we actually had to push the head of the stretcher down while the people in the, uh, sorry, push the foot of the stretcher down because there was so little weight in the legs. And then everybody else was struggling. So we actually had to have 10 to 12 people 
uh, carrying that individual out, and that was down the fire warden's trail, which is not an easy trail to, right. to maneuver at all. Yeah, plus all the crayons they carry. Those <laughs> Marines. Ooh, yes. shots fired. I'm from an Air Force guy. That's right. It was, it was mostly through the day. He had, eight, he had ate most of them at that point. Oh, yes. <laughs> I heard the red ones taste the best. Yeah. 30-something people, though, is almost unheard of for our area. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember not the last one, but one of the wilderness rescues i ended up using the one of the trail riders horse remember that picture yeah where i hooked a stoke up stokes up and then the horse dragged the stokes out because mm. it was me and two other people yeah lugging somebody out so yeah and that was a leg injury too right yep. if I remember right. yeah there was no making them walk on that one no <laughs> i tried well, i was say but you tried yeah so when denmark gets a call like that how many do you have mutual aid towns specifically for that that call typically once that call i can use an example we just had uh last month we had a uh, patient on the southwest ridge trail up the denmark road um, so as soon as the call came in um, i asked for uh, brownfield fire freiburg fire and freiburg rescues uh, backup tone uh, we don't want to take the primary crew out of town but we need one of their side by side and whatever backup members could have that was the initial call in addition to my own department and that's because it was on that side of town how many people um, did you get that particular time we had 28 people who were responded wow, wow. Um, this is daytime this was a sunday afternoon yeah, so okay. that was that really lucky that that's why we yeah. had that many yeah. um and that was not 28 people there in five minutes that was uh it, it takes a long time to for people to gather their equipment gather their right. gear and then work their way back uh to the the, the trailhead um, and that's one of the, the trails that we actually can drive an ATV uh, or side by side um, about three quarters of a mile in. Um, and the patient was able to um, move down the hill towards us. Yeah. And then we were able to meet him there and drive out. Um, we can go back to March of 2019. Uh, it was literally the week, the Sunday after the pandemic started. Uh, yeah. We unfortunately had a fatality on the Ledges Trail uh, on the east side of town. Yeah. Um, and that was... An immediate response, there was a paramedic crew from United who went in uh, with the monitor um, and the quick reaction team to get up to the patient. The people who had found him had already been doing CPR for over 45 minutes um, oh, wow. and before the, the, the medics got there. And uh, the trail conditions were very dangerous for the rescuers because there were hundreds of yards of frozen ice and then also in the lower part of the mountain, hundreds of yards of thick mud because it was that end right. of the... Yeah. winter last year our fifth season yep um so uh even though the patient was deceased um i made the decision i called the uh main forest service because uh, i attended a training with them previously that they said they now have heavy lift uh, capabilities with their huey helicopters yeah and they said if you need help give us a call and if we can come we will um and i it was getting it was the call had come in on a sunday mid-afternoon by the time this had happened it was now four o'clock and we're losing light I was gonna um, say, so yeah. right still yeah uh, I called the uh, Augusta dispatch center and they put me uh, right in touch with the director of the forest service which I wasn't prepared for right and he said let me make some phone calls to get back to you and he called me back in less than 15 minutes and said I've got a helicopter crew on their way down this should be over you within an, about an hour and a half nice and uh, within an hour and 18 minutes from the that call he the helicopter lifted off from Old Town flown to Eddington to pick up a crew member, flown to the Forks to pick up another crew member, and they were hovering overhead in, in an hour and 18 minutes. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and they lowered the, uh, the stretcher, the Stokes, uh, to the yep. location. It was on the le actually at the ledges, if anybody's familiar with the, the trail system. Um, and then because of the trail conditions, there was no uh, place for us to land nearby, so we actually had right. to land up on Higher Ridge Road. Um, yep. and the helicopter had to fly across uh, to, to meet the... Um, uh, the funeral service yeah. funeral director. Oh, wow. um, so that was, we had 43 people respond to that call. Um, there amazing. were six different departments plus Bridgeton police, plus the warden service. Right. Um, and that's, I'll get back to that in a second, but um, that was a very tough call to do because we had to tell our rescue personnel to stay at the scene. Right. Because if they walked back down and the helicopter mission didn't work for whatever reason there's a lot of reasons why helicopter can't work right um and so they had to stay up there it was cold it was getting dark um and yeah. they a lot of the people on the ground 
don't understand the command decisions that are happening miles away from them. Right. Yeah. Um, but we had a, a good debrief, and that was what really prompted me to provide the training that we did last October so that people could understand where those decisions have to come in from, and there's a lot yeah. of moving parts. So did you guys have to do any rigging with that, or did the Forest Service take care of all that, and they just all dropped down the Stokes? Or? They took care of everything. They, uh, they dropped down so. a rescue technician uh, in the Stokes, dropped him, they released it, he... Um, prepped the body um, and then loaded it back up again and then they they hovered back over it hooked up and then he flew 1.3 miles uh, from the side of Pleasant down across Moose Pond and then landed up on a field um, that had road access on High Ridge Road. So did they bring the body up and then the technician up or did the technician he, ride he rode with, the body with the body? Yep, he rode underneath the, body. the helicopter to the next Yeah. Thing? That's why they really want to play they want to find a location as close as possible. Yep. Right. Uh, Cuz it was a pretty good Five o'clock at night on a March Sunday afternoon, it was pretty cool up there. Yeah. I bet. Oh, I'm um, sure it was getting flying cold. underneath the Huey. Yeah. Uh, and there's also the danger: the longer that they're they're up there, the, the something could exposure. Go wrong, right. But, right. Um, no, they were very well trained. I, I, I was um, very satisfied. I don't want to say happy, but I was satisfied. We were able to 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 have that grateful, uh, right? Yeah, to that because <laughs> we were risking any time that you send first responders out in the backcountry, you're risking injury. And your risks go up exponentially because if you need that 32 people, and that, that's a that's a textbook. You, it's very rare you ever get the 32 people of that right. four teams of eight. But right. um, one of those people go down. Now you actually have to double your resources. Yeah. And when you're doing street medicine, you call another ambulance up and you pull up to the scene to yeah. have another um, set of. You have to double the number of resources that you need, which is yeah. really difficult to do. You've had quite a bit of calls up on that mountain recently, right? We have. So you've, sadly, you've had some practice. Yeah, we're, we're, we're unfortunately we're getting pretty good with, with getting out there, uh, being organized, uh, knowing where the closest trailheads are. Um, and you folks, it, it's, uh, what's the hill Joker. over here? Hacker's Hill? Yeah. Um, people may think like backcountry is like wilds of Canada or even Mount Washington, but anywhere that you're more than a mile from definitive medical care is considered the backcountry. Right. So... Hackers yeah. Hill may not be a, a backcountry, but Hackers Hill's not really an issue. We can drive up it. It's more Rattlesnake and Jugtown are our issues. Yeah. For mountains, it would right. be Rattlesnake because I don't think yeah. we could get an ATV up there. Uh, um, we uh, we have uh, once we did uh, we did a recovery up off uh, Lower Coffee Pond, um, and that was that was a long that was a long access. And then Jugtown. Jugtown is really our, right. our and our biggest point. issue with that is trying to find the location because it's just a spider web of trails down there and depending if you walk five feet this way five feet that way or five feet in front of you it's a different town so you, yeah. you never know which town so that's usually a multi-agency response just to figure out where they are and similarly when the call comes out um, especially if somebody called it in themselves and they start saying you know rattlesnake mountain or something like that that doesn't necessarily plot on a map very well. Uh, the locals know the area, the trail riders may know the area, but you know, especially if you get someone from out of town on your department and they go, yeah, it's on this mountain or this hill, or, or even like Q5 before that was labeled. Yeah, I remember even a couple of years back, we had a call and the dispatcher said, they said they're in Q5, we, <laughs> don't, I don't, we don't know what Q5 means. So. <laughs> Well, the problem with that is that... That's an old code, yeah, but it's right. still good. No. It's, um, <laughs> it so checks that, out. <laughs> that, goes, that goes way back to when we had fire lane signs. Yeah. And um, the problem with Q5 is that there are different entrances and exits for Q5. Right. There's a Q5 on 121, there's a Q5 on Quaker Ridge Road, and then up on the other side towards Chutes. So even though they say Q5, there's, there's three or four different... But that's, that's what I'm yeah. getting at. What is I always do You is can get that call out, and somebody that's local to the area knows this area that's by, not true. by, like, one name. I uh, I still have a hard time li knowing <laughs> where. It, I live, like, right off an access to Jugtown, and I still have a hard time knowing where. So that's the perfect what example. That's what, what I'm I do, saying. Yeah, what I do is I always call Lonnie Girard right. from the uh, Lake Region ATV Club, and I go, Lonnie, this is what they're telling me. Where is that? Like the last yeah. one we had that ended up being in Naples or Otisfield, we still weren't sure. Casco ended up taking the call, but um, I called Lonnie and I said, 
they went in by this road and they said it forked and then they went, went left and he was able to go, okay, this is where you need to go. Well, yeah. even if said, you break oh, it down perfect. for our area, even if you break it down into street names, you have Eads Falls and then you go way the other direction and you have Eads Falls. Right. So, well, there's three Eads Falls. Then, even there's, better. There, <laughs> See, I only knew of two. <laughs> so there's Otisfield Eads Falls, there's Casco Eads Falls, and Naples Eads Falls. Yeah. You know? So, and yeah, they all they all go into Jugtown, but again... Right. So if you get that, someone that, that doesn't that, know... That John was referring to actually started in Otisfield. Right. And then they kept plotting their location, and then they thought they were closer to Naples, so they had Naples, and then we weren't sure. Right. right. So anyway, and, we all ended up there. And all that being said, there's a lot of people who are going out into front country and back country areas who don't know where they are. Right. right. Um, so we we have our own issues of trying to know our own areas and different places. Yeah. But um, for Pleasant Mountain, uh, the three of the four trailheads in, on Pleasant Mountain are in Denmark, and most of the mountain is in Denmark. But people just automatically assume that it's Bridgeton, Bridgeton yeah. right. because of Shawnee Peak. Right. Yeah. So we. With uh, the Bridge and Chief and myself, whenever we have a call that comes into one of our dispatch centers for a, a backcountry, we immediately call each other directly um, yeah. because we know that we're going to be pulling resources anyway. But it's also most th- three quarters of the time it's going to be a, a Denmark rescue, yeah, not a Bridge. It's rescue. your problem. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and the uh, Lunaco Land Trust, uh, who who manages and owns a lot of property throughout our coverage area. They've seen at some of the trails that they actually have trail counters on since last March. They have anywhere between 75 to 110 percent increase in traffic on the trails. Wow! Um, and yeah. the the one that really scares me is the uh, Southwest Ridge on Pleasant Mountain because it's turned into a backcountry, like skin up and telemark down oh, really? area, uh, and free skiing, uh, basically where you can get that downhill but you have to earn your turns is what they call it right right um but as experienced as some folks are we don't really have a lot of experience with full backcountry winter rescues yeah and if someone hurts themselves up in a snowfield that's not even on a trail through feet of snow that's going to turn into a a really challenging uh situation and there are some search and rescue teams over in new hampshire solo schools for example in madison Uh, there's also an Androscoggin Valley uh, up towards Gorham, uh, and there's also a mountain rescue team for Mount Washington. Uh, they have that back, that kind of winter skills, uh, low angle, but the response time for them to respond from those locations is going to be quite long. And it's going to be a long rescue anyway. Yes. You know, so for um, the, this difficulty that you found, what are you doing to try to, to mend that? Are you going to try to get a class in your area to teach some of that? Or like, Do you have a plan? Yep, working with the land trust to try to gather people who have the winter skills. Um, and I'm starting to very carefully go down the route of developing or, or establishing a search and rescue team to make this a little bit more official because we right. can use, we potentially can use members of the public. That's what a lot of the other search and rescue uh, teams use. Yeah. They're not necessarily firefighters or EMTs, but they have a lot of backcountry experience. They'll get wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder. Um, That's what I, I was going to say is, you know, that there's a ton of hiking clubs out there that uh, in our area, um, and those people are great resources because they know those trails. They some of them, I'm sure, know them a lot better than than we do. So, yep. you know, f- for sure to definitely make those make those connections and and use them as a resource. And that's that's as I start to go down this route, it's we, we've got to figure out that to establish who the entity is that's going to be in charge of it. Right. Because um, there's always going to be lawyers at the end of everything. All right. Um, so yeah. do we establish a separate nonprofit? Uh, do we establish it with a department? Establishing with a department is very difficult because then you get into the municipal employees and insurance coverage and everything else. Um, so, so we that, won't use the E word, but we can use municipal efficiency. And this area, you know, let's look at a... a Lake region search and rescue team kind of thing, you know, the because e it's going to take, it's going to take, what's that? The E word? R word. R. Oh, I thought you said E. I thought he no. said yeah, E yeah. too. Oh, sorry. No. The <laughs> Regionalization. R Regionalization. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was in all R&D honesty, it's going to take, it's going to take several agencies in, in the Lake region area. It really does though. Every incident we have, like we have like one or two a year, we barely ever train on it 
and it's always a cluster. Well, look uh, at trying to uh, figure out water who's rescues. in charge. Or, oh, I know. Well, Anytime don't, we have oh, a water stop. rescue on Sebago Lake, you stop. have 16 towns called in. <laughs> yeah. And none of them have the same radio frequencies. Right. Do you have that issue over there where you're op- doing this large operation with 40-something people and no one has the same radio frequencies? We did in the past, but in the past year, we now have a, we've relocated our repeater for Denmark yeah. um, from a hill in Denmark that didn't get very perform- good performance yep. um, over to uh, 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 Freiburg, uh, where they put up a repeater as well, too. It's on the, okay. so I can't remember the name of the hill. It's on the west side of town where the U.S. Cellular Tower is, just above the um, uh, tourist parking on 302. Oh, so we actually have very good coverage, uh, uh, the entire mutual aid coverage area, even down towards Standish. Awesome. So those are two repeated channels that we can use for operations. Uh, and that's what we've used for the last couple of calls where we put um, the, the command on one and then we put the operations on yeah. the other. Uh, we get full coverage. And Saco Valley Fire Department uh, has also put a repeater in at their north station, which doesn't reach down very well to Denmark, but it covers the northern part of our mutual aid area, and it really fills up huge gap there because they've got the whole uh, Evans Notch, White Mountain National yeah. Forest area yeah, yeah. where they do a lot of backcountry rescues. Right. Um, and the radio communications definitely wasn't an issue until uh, this past year that we moved the installed the repeaters uh, yeah. last fall. It's been an issue for us. Uh, we're, we're getting Chief it worked Cole out. is yeah slowly working it out, but we still get. A little bit of pushback from yeah. departments because no one likes to change, right? And <laughs> didn't I hear yep. that you're upgrading some more of your equipment to help out with that issue? Well, we're hoping to. We we put in a grant uh, to a, a certain grant foundation uh, this past spring for uh, what's called an Argo UTV. It's an yep. eight-wheeled uh, amphibious. Um, yeah. It's a pretty comprehensive rig, and they actually make a responder model that has a. Cool built-in stoke stretcher. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so you can actually either carry six people or you could flip down the seats on one side, uh, mount, mount the stoke stretcher in there if you're, you're taking someone awesome. out. Awesome. Um, it's a very expensive piece of equipment comparatively. You can buy a Polaris Ranger 550 for about eleven or $12,000. Uh, and this uh, rig starts off at $31,000. Oof, wow. Uh, and then to get the tracks and uh, the roll cage and a roof and a windshield. The, the total package I put together for the grant application was $46,000. Um, That's really cool. I, I was actually referring to the communication side of things. I heard that you're working on a, a command trailer. Oh, yes, the command trailer. Upgrading so That's trailer. where I'm hoping to put the, the Argo in. But the the Argo is kind of a, a long shot. It's not something that our town could afford um, right. yeah. by ourselves. Right. Um, I don't want to say the grant. I don't want to <laughs> jinx things yeah, right now. No, no, but, no. But uh, we put wood. the grant application in, and knock on wood. Hopefully, in a few weeks, yep. we'll get a we'll get a good answer because we Denmark is actually for the uh, uh, Oxford Cumberland Chiefs Association mutual aid. The thirteen towns we're in the direct center of it. So yep. by having that, um, and that, that's part of what we used in the grant application was the fact that it's, it's not re- just it's for a regional tool, right? Denmark, and yeah. also made the the um, case of how many other. Um, how our summer population can double to triple on a daily yep. uh, because of the number of tourists who are coming in. Right. Uh, and the winter is not much different than that, if you consider the snowmobilers. That was the excellent right, uh, that tool for ice water rescue. Correct, because we've, we've got those shoulder seasons that, yes, we. Uh, I guess Wyndham has an airboat and Bridgeton has an airboat. Yep. Um, yeah. and, uh, and the so wardens have one over in Standish. Okay. So, um, but. Yeah. An ATV can drive out on frozen ice if it really is completely frozen. You, never, if it's you that, never trust ice. Yeah, never trust ice. <laughs> um, so having something amphibious um, yeah. would certainly be... With well, tracks on it too, work, so but, it has a nice wide area. And yep. Even yeah. if it goes through the ice, it has the possibility of climbing back up on it. So yeah. it's a, yeah. that's, a, that's a cool tool. I hadn't heard about... Uh, Good luck, and let me know when you get it. Yeah, well, <laughs> we will, yeah exactly. We'd we will love yep. to check it out, because I, I, I've seen them before just kind of looking for my own interest i didn't even thought of the the they're pretty neat side of it. Uh, i it's had a, a yeah, one of my friends uncles had one and we used to fish on it it was a little it was an older one so it was kind of a low profile so casting was a little sketchy but it was fun because you literally just drive and you're like oh here's a good spot to fish drive into the lake just go out to the middle fish a little and then come back yeah, that's cool. awesome yep. so good luck thank you good yep. luck with that absolutely for, for uh so in our area, um, you know, we have 
Jugtown, which is, is mostly ATVs and in the winter it's snowmobiles, it sounds like your area is mostly like walking trails? Or? No, we've got 14 miles of snowmobile and, and a little bit less than that in ATV trails. Oh, really? We've had um, ATV fires out in the woods we had to respond to. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Polaris recall from about four or five years ago yeah. where they're brand new rangers just burst into flames yeah um, they did that in the most inopportune places of right. course uh, either someone's garage or out in the middle of the woods yeah. right yeah. Um, and the snowmobile trail we actually had a uh, it was amazing last february uh we had a gentleman reported missing uh in the morning they said his garage door his neighbor said his garage door was still open the light was on and his snowmobile wasn't back and they knew that he had been out the night before and this night it was uh we had found out that it was negative 18 it dropped down Ooh. to and he had crashed his sled at a sharp corner and um, dislocated his knee. Um, so he wasn't able to walk, wasn't able to basically just was able to stand. Yeah. And luckily, even though he was just visiting a friend across town, he had on all of his snowmobile clothing, yeah. uh, which is the only thing that saved him. But I was not expecting the outcome that we had of yeah. driving down the trail and him just waving at us sitting <laughs> on the back of the snowmobile. Um, but Ed, we had, Ed, this is not giving you any flashbacks to your incident, is it? You're no, okay. you're okay with uh, this. Okay. I was Ed was able to walk. Ed was able to drive home. <laughs> yeah, like four or five states away. Didn't right, he? four or five. Do you know where Georgia is? <laughs> I didn't know where you were. I just knew you took a ride, <laughs> and it wasn't to the hospital where you so should have went. Ed, <laughs> if you learn nothing else from yeah. today, do not bring your dirt bike to Denmark. Really? Because what I got out of it was, as long as I'm wearing all my gear, I'll be just fine. Right. <laughs> You'll sure. see his smiling face. Hey, don't I know you? Hopefully he's not riding at negative 18 degrees. Well, the next time we meet, it'll be professional. Right. <laughs> You'll be the patient. Right. right. No, we, we've had um, uh, a hunter fall out of a tree, dislocate his hip. Yeah. Um, we, and that was not on a trail. That was bushwhacking through the woods because that's right. what hunters do. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, we've had quite the, the, the different scenarios. And um, to, to touch back on what Eric's talking about, yes, we have a... Um, in 2013, we had gotten a grant uh, for a um, com- what was supposed to be set up as a command trail. It was a yeah. kind of a concession trailer with a large flip-up window yeah. on the side and the ramp in the back. And uh, we've our department has basically been using it as a storage location, which uh, sometimes happens. But we've yeah. um, now got that all squared away, and we are we've got it set up. I've uh, uh, two weeks ago, I had two six-volt golf cart batteries installed. Um, to give a, a power supply, it'll give us about 360 amp hours. So we have two mobile radios mounted in a, a USB nice. charger uh, and a, an inverter. So we can pull up to the scene and have hours of um, interior and exterior lighting and radio. And nice. there's also, uh, it came with the RV plug, so we can plug that in. And if we have a generator or a power yeah. source nearby. Um, so we actually used that. Uh, this past September, uh, there was a missing person in Denmark uh, that involved a five-day search with the warden service, wow. um, and they had asked us to help them with a command post, and that's what we'd set up there. Yep. Um, so that's kind of what we where we started from, and then I've been evolving into that. So it's the trailer's uh, 14 feet plus a four-foot V-nose, um, nice. so we'd be able to fit um, a side-by-side inside that in addition yep. to keeping the, the command uh, awesome. components for that. And we're... Uh, the uh, our department has been assisting the vaccination uh, clinics in uh, Oxford uh, several weeks ago, and then the Freiburg Fair, and then we're going back to Oxford uh, next week when they have to do their uh, finish up the Moderna shots. Good. Um, and what we've found out is that FEMA is reimbursing. Oh. Ready? And we're back. <laughs> are we back? We are. Go ahead. Right. So, like, uh, we actually haven't run into it for a while, but it happened quite a bit over the winter. So, John's going to have to work some editing magic. We had to go out on a call, had to had to break for a minute. So. FYI, I'm not editing anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, pardon the interruption, pardon the little uh, uh, delay and any... The hiccup. Any, any information gaps we end up having because of that uh, you know it's an active fire and ems department if there's something that we've missed you can ask us on the facebook page absolutely and we will address it the next time we meet right or contact chief cole <laughs> phone number <Such>. <laughs> <laughs> five 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 
See, we're not supposed to say stuff like you're a <laughs> in the middle of a sentence because you can't edit it out. I'm so not editing it. Uh, perfect. I'm telling you. All right. And I'm telling you. That's not like one of the I think we were off. cuss words. Or? Yeah. I don't know. All right. No, so there's a whole list. We were yeah. talking about how the, uh, a lot of departments are supporting the FEMA vaccination sites. And what we found out is that we are going to be compensated by FEMA for cone rentals and trailer rentals and things like that. So we're able to have some unexpected income uh, for our department to be able to put back into our um, resources. So that's where I've been putting a lot of money into the command trailer. Um, awesome. And if we kind of take a giant step backwards in this whole discussion, one thing that people need to keep in mind is that the main warden service is actually the ultimate responsibility for any rescues that are happening in front country or back country areas. Um, we are working, they're the ones who have the ultimate responsibility, but we are providing the manpower, the logistics, the, the resources, and we, uh, I can certainly say I've had a very good working relationship with the local wardens, um, and, but they are the ultimate responsibility for, for handling those calls. So um, I'm not overly familiar with Denmark's department. Are you, you uh, staffed on call or are you per diem or are you full time? Uh, we're on call. Uh, so we have uh, 12 members currently um, active and we've got uh, five who are uh, medically licensed from the EMR level to the uh, advanced level. Um, so we're a combination department in that we do not transport patients. Uh, we, we use United Ambulance out of Richmond Hospital first on scene yep. basic care a lot of it's moving furniture and getting the last release papers from the hospital things like that yep. um, but uh, we do uh, certainly get involved in that and we have a uh, approximately 50% uh, of our calls to 60% of our calls are EMS only uh, and then the remainder are combination of EMS and fire but it sounds like you guys still have a, a fairly uh, Good number of response. You know, you have a decent amount of people responding to calls. Even yes, we do. Uh, weekdays are always a challenge. Uh, we've oh yeah, for everyone. Yep. Outside of town and and like for example, like I even on a moderate or a low day, I often won't let fire permits be issued Monday through Friday till after five p.m. Right. Just because if something does get out of control, myself That's and the cool. other mutual aid departments in the area just don't have the resources. There's right. Um, if you look directly at my surrounding towns of uh, Bridgeton, Freiburg, Brownfield, Hiram, uh, Sebago is the only one who has EMS staff on, but not fire staff on. Right. So all of us are on call. Yeah. So without tossing anyone under the bus, how do, how's your relationship with the surrounding towns? And how, how have you, because it sounds like the calls that you're, you've been responding to have required a, a really decent uh, con uh, contribution from your surrounding towns, uh, manpower-wise, and that can be really difficult. I mean, we've talked about it a few times that uh, it it doesn't take much to suddenly not get as much support from a surrounding town. No, we have very good luck with uh, most of the surrounding towns. Uh, you've got to be a as a command officer, you have to have your head in a swivel. So, for example, we had a carryout um, that was on the west side of town. And I did specifically did not call Brownfield out because they had spent the morning uh, with a pretty bad vehicle accident. So knowing that their members had been out for multiple hours in the morning, um, it was a fatal accident. Um, so I reached out to a different department uh, to do that. But Brownfield is um, our automatic mutual aid for structure fires uh, and vehicle accidents that require entrapment. Um, so we work very closely with them. Um, we actually are going to be um, starting to uh, do a mutual training uh, the third Monday of each month. So our departments are going to be um, taking turns hosting back and forth. Nice, um, nice. And I was listening to a podcast recently that talked about uh, training between different departments. And right. it inspired me to, uh, and the Brownfield Chief Richard Prawl, to go ahead and institute that. See? That's pretty Reg awesome. Regional training. Plot twist. It was another podcast. Had nothing to do with us. Right. <laughs> right. But no, seriously, it was. It got me thinking uh, when I was when I listened to that podcast, and it only makes sense that we are going to our call each other's calls anyway. Right. Um, so let's start to know each other's equipment. Let's start to kind of get on the same game uh, game plan. And um, for example, we have uh, for our town meeting coming up, we've got one of the Warren articles is to get 
uh, extrication tools. And one of the primary reasons I've chosen AMCUS is that Brownfield already has a set of AMCUS tools. Yep, so we'll yep. have that um, same training, um, interoperability between batteries and tools. Yep. Um, and so it, it only makes sense to, to work with that. And we're looking at uh, getting a new fire engine soon in town. And one of the things that uh, the truck that we're looking at does not have a foam system on it. Um, and one of the reasons I'm okay with that um, is that the Brownfield just took delivery on an HME minute pumper with a calf system on it, a compressed air foam system. Yep. Um, so that is going to be on all of my calls anyway. So we right. try to really complement each other. Yeah, nice. And um, Brownfield ha invested in that calf system, but they're not going to buy a side-by-side -side or a boat because they know that we have that. And it's, it's just really a matter of trying to get our mutual aid departments organized yeah, and right. not saving the tax dollar money is, is something that we all have to keep in mind, but it also is just that redundancy of equipment. It doesn't yeah. make sense to have us maintaining, purchasing, maintaining uh, equipment um, if we can rely on our, our partners we have to do anyway. Right. And yeah. sometimes people forget that we're taxpayers too and that we're not up to up our own taxes. So we're not out right. trying to get every bell and whistle. We'll just get the equipment that helps our jobs better and, and safer. Municipal well, uh, efficiency. Right. <laughs> there it is again. I like that. Yeah. There you go. Better than the R word, right? Right. Now, I like that you were probably topic. one of the one one person or one listener that actually liked that podcast and listened and didn't get angry. <laughs> <laughs> that podcast upset a lot of people. And that was only part one. Right? <laughs> we'll be back but for the rest. I agree with you. It only makes sense. Like, even though regionalization is such a bad... Um, um, Stigma. Stigma. It only makes sense to train together, to share equipment, to buy, do joint purchases and stuff like that because we are responding to the same calls no matter what. If, when crap hits the fan, I almost said, yeah, when well, crap hits the fan, we're all through. our towns we're are responding to together. So it makes sense that that truck's similar to that one. This equipment is similar to that one, especially on car accidents when it's a time sensitive or if you have a um, structure fire with somebody entrapped and you know time sensitive things because that's one of the things we're always fighting. It's good to train together, be on the same page, know how each other are operating and know how each other's equipment works. Yeah. And it works out great on the, on the as federal far as level I'm going. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so so we've done several regional grants right uh and been very successful and and so we're operating the same equipment and and standardizing some of those operations so in in the grand scheme of things i mean it's not it, it, it's the only way that things are going to get done yep. <laughs> i think but that being said we also have to remember that we've got iso ratings that we have to adhere to Right. So we can't, a town can't not have a tanker or a primary attack engine Correct. because right. the next there, town there's has There's certain one. equipment that is we, required. Yeah, we, uh, we have to always keep that in mind and, and, and also for people outside the fire service of how can we all have the same things? Well, none this of our towns right. are really centrally located that we can respond immediately to them. Right. Um, especially with the on-call that yeah. most of our departments are working with. Yeah. And an ISO rating of, of 9 or 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... It's difficult. There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of maintenance and a lot of information that needs to be transferred to, to maintain that. So, uh, I mean, a, a lot of times it can get to the point where the the, own, the fire department in that town doesn't recognize their own own level, uh, right? Just because it's not it's not as simple as going. Yeah, we have a tanker. We have an engine that rates us at whatever so there's a lot that goes into it and a lot that you don't really have control over yeah. and you absolutely do need redundancy of resources on, on right. scene so we have our yes we have a side-by-side -side. it's a six-wheeled polaris ranger um it has a fire skid already on it and a tank um which is um technically it's removable but it's very cumbersome to do that time consuming so uh, and in a six-wheeler is not nearly as nimble on some of the smaller trails as a four-wheeled UTV. Um, so Freiburg Rescue and Freiburg Fire Department both have their own side-by-sides. You also have to keep in mind that there will be, could be have technical issues. So if one of the vehicles breaks down, you want to have that second one either at the trailhead or already working its way up the trail. Yep. Um, so even though we technically only need one vehicle to transport the patient out, we want to make sure that that 
we have those resources available to us um, if something does right. go wrong. One is none, two is one. Right. Yep. So talk, talking <laughs> about wilderness that? stuff, what are some of the other special hazards you have over in the city of Denmark? <laughs> is there like any big commercial companies over there or other things that are hazards in your area that you well, we've got, uh, might need specialty equipment for? Uh, well, if we can get into hazmat issues with, uh, we've got a large um, down east uh, Denmark location that has a propane and fuel storage, diesel, gasoline uh, that is um, directly across the street from our fire department. So it kind of makes it a unique hazmat issue if, that, if there's an accident, there's incident there. Um, you just ride off to town? <laughs> well, round and drown. <laughs> yeah, we we may, we have to be very mindful of how we're getting our equipment out of an area right. that might be within inside the right. incident zone, the yeah. hot zone, the hot zone. Um, and we also have a lot of uh, vehicle traffic coming through our town is another issue. Um, a lot of the loggers and a lot of the trucks um, who are trying to avoid some of the traffic on 302, especially with the Freiburg construction that's been happening over the oh, yeah. past few years. Um, there's a lot of heavy truck traffic that moves through our yeah. town on routes 160 and 117. Um, but the uh, another, not necessarily backcountry, more front country is we have two large summer camps in our town. And I know a lot of people don't realize how many youth summer camps are located in the, the lake region here. If you took uh, Bridgeton uh, and took the monument up on the top of the hill as a center point, uh, there are actually over 85 youth summer camps located within a 25-mile circle of that Bridgeton point there. So our annual residential population is just over 1,200 people right now. Uh, the two summer camps uh, for the months of June, July, and August um, combined bring that uh, add to that total almost 800 people uh, yeah. between the two camps. And that doesn't include all of the Airbnbs and second homes uh, and cottages and two campgrounds um, that all of our towns have. So we see that increase of call volume in the summer. And it's difficult, as I'm sure the chief across the table can agree, that trying to staff and have a, a schedule when your population changes by threefold. Yeah, um, it's difficult. Definitely adds a, a level of uh, complexity to the operation. Now you have quite a bit of waterfront over in Denmark also. We've got uh, seven bodies of water. Uh, we have uh, about a mile and a half of the Saka River. Uh, we have uh, six other ponds, and only two of them actually have uh, motorboat access. Um, and Moose Pond is the largest one, and we have the, the boat launch at the bottom. But if we have a uh, call that's up the lake, we have to then launch the boat from the southern end of the lake and then drive right. three, four miles north to get to it. And that's comes back to the Argo unit being amphibious that that can drive from someone's backyard, a small beach, a hand carry boat launch. Right. Yeah. Um, and some of our pickerel pond, pearly pond, long pond, um, all have uh, really no road access into them or easy road access for getting a boat into them. Well, talking about boats, you can't get fire trucks in these places to get water for house fires either, huh? That's that's one of the reasons why we're looking to keep our replace a new engine that's going to come in to be as short as possible. We're looking at a 27 feet. Uh, length um, and that's where also our mini pumper that we got on a grant back in 2013 yeah. um, it's only a 300 gallon tank but it's a 1500 gallon per minute pump um, very efficient so we can get a water supply nearby nice. so that that kind of goes back to um, you know the access and we're talking about ISO in case people don't know what that is that that's the uh, insurance services office and they basically set your homeowner uh, insurance rates based on a, a myriad of factors um ed would probably be able to, to chime in a lot better but um uh, they basically they, location of your fire department um location of hydrants or what your water supplies are and then a few other resources as far as if that fire department's staffed um what they have for equipment and things like yeah. that i mean the the list is Massive, the, the factors yeah, that go percent is based on your staffing levels and training, um, and that is whether you actually are um, have per diems or a full-time department. Obviously, you're going to get a higher rating there as well, too. Right. Um, but it also has to do with how many firefighter one-twos you have as opposed to just main basic fire certified. Right. Um, 40% is based on your water supply. Um, so towns that actually have a water district that has hydrant system, um, they may have a mixed ISO rating in the areas that they have the water district, 
and then a municipal water source. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, um, and there are source. ways if you have enough tanker support and you can move enough water, um, you can lower your ISO rating. Um, yeah, but that we did that. We did that several years ago with a big water oh, training. Yeah, you know the funny thing <coughs> is, I said yeah a couple of years ago we just did a big water training, blah blah blah, and then it was like it was when it was I started over so ten was, years. Yeah, ago. it was a long time ago. I was like, man. So apparently, it just flew right by. It's the COVID. No, a couple it was, years it was ago, well before everything that. is. It's been a time warp. Yeah, true. I'm like, uh, yeah, a couple years ago, and they're like, John, you know, it's it's 2021. Yeah, that happened in. I think it was 2012. Yeah. I think like that. I was yeah. like, oh, I mean, it, it was Thanks. before I was driving the trucks. I mean, I had just we had yeah. Just it was a big water training where we flowed for three hours. Wasn't we had it? to flow. I think it was 750 gallons a minute continuously for th three hours. Yeah. Don't quote me on the numbers. I don't, it yeah, was I don't at least was two. More than that. And you have to provide a certain amount within 20 minutes as yep. well, too. Yep. Correct. Yep. And, yeah. That was a big operation. Yep. That, that, was, that was a lot of fun, though. And, I mean, when, when I first started, that was a, a lot of people for a training. And... Uh, I don't know. It was, it was a great start. Yeah, I thought uh, so. It's been good to see a lot of the area departments uh, having upgrades in their tankers uh, over the past five to ten years. Yeah. Um, and that's critical of having something that is um, not only just roadworthy, but also uh, quick-functioning, um, large dump chutes that we can actually move some water. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that we have several Poland Spring bottling plants uh, in the area uh, both in Denmark and Freiburg, um, and the company policy for Poland Spring is that if the drivers are driving past the fire scene, um, they're required by their by the company to actually stop and ask if they need that water. Yeah. Um, and there's been multiple times that we have had tanker support from a 6,000 gallon Poland Spring tanker. Nice. Yep. Um, the probably they the, travel through here every day. I was going to say we just need long, to get more so. fi more fires on Route 11. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or no. send down a traffic control guy. Start down setting there. up our right. dump tanks right now. Yeah, I think I think the only restriction is we can't connect to them or anything. They have to be able yeah, to, they have to, have to, to, dump, to dump off, off. Yeah, so there's yep. no contamination. Yep. yep. But I've, I know and I've and used them a couple times. And it's a slow dump as well too, because when they get to the factories, it's a suction um, out of their their tanks. Uh, but when we had the Freiburg Fair Fire in July two years ago now, um, we had a one of their tankers had backed in and was dumping into our dump tank, and it's a two inch. Um, pipe that was coming out of the back of it so it was not coming out very quickly but it right. was coming out steadily then we had our tankers pulling along the side of the dump tank and uh, doing a 90 degree dump into it yeah but Poland Spring had um, seven trucks parked outside the fairgrounds on Route they're, 5. They're awesome um, they're always so supportive of us ab yeah absolutely um, yeah. in our operation so there's a shout out to uh, Poland Spring and, and Nestle Waters. Thank you guys. You, yes, say, you really, you really do help. You know, you, you really do help. Well, not only that, with all the donations of the drinking water they give us for, oh, you know, yeah, when we're out yeah. doing our jobs, it's yeah. awesome. Poland Spring actually paid for the Ranger in 2013 and the the Kintec uh, fire skid for us. Oh, awesome! And they donated that to the department. Yeah, um, they've been they've been like, yeah, another shout out because they've been a very supportive of the Denmark Fire Department. Yeah, um, for sure. Perfect. So what is your department, um, how's your training look? How, how is your uh, participation in training? Were you talking COVID times or pre-COVID <laughs> times? <laughs> both. A little of both. Yeah. So now I'm curious about both. So let's talk about pre-COVID first, and then we'll talk about how that's kind of Both. We can talk about all three. Pre-COVID, COVID, and post-COVID. Post -COVID. Oh, I don't, ooh, now you're really going to start ruffling some feathers if you start saying we're already post-COVID. So. Well, well, we're not post-COVID, but we're... Post-COVID restrictions. Post he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, but what he doesn't know is the train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. But that train is also pushing the training, um, and we have to get back into it. Yep. Nice. Yes, we definitely do. And that's, <laughs> that's very good. Nice. As I mentioned before, we're going to start doing the combined training with Brownfield. That's awesome. Um, so that we, we can do that. Um, and uh, I think we've learned a lot of things from COVID, uh, not only fire service, but a lot of businesses in that things can be done remotely. Um, we can use the Zoom meetings and trainings and video cameras to actually um, not have to drive across the state to get training uh, when it's not in-person training. And that, that I think, makes a real difference because we have 
So many of our members are volunteering their time away from their families, away from their jobs uh, to come and help the, their towns out that they're in. Uh, whether they're being paid a, a nominal compensation or if they're being paid hourly, you're still asking someone to come out and risk their health, risk their lives um, for their, their fellow citizens. And right. if we can do a training in our department where we're sitting in front of a TV and interacting with you folks over here, we don't have to drive the, the hour round trip from Denmark right. to Casco or the two hour round trip from here to, to someplace further like Lewiston to United yep. Ambulance, for example, the yep. training center. Yep. So if we can leverage uh, some of this online uh, training, that would definitely help. But we've got to get hands-on uh, back again as well, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, the concept of trying to train, starting with the basics, because we don't, none of us do this enough, especially, I, I may I should say, maybe not, I'm not going to speak for you, gentlemen, but small departments, we are, don't do our jobs enough to be proficient at it. Um, it's just the name of the game. I, yeah. I, I'm saying it out loud and I, and I, cause I do believe it. Um, so that means we have to be that much more careful that we're on scene, that we're not doing something over our skill level, over right. our scope of practice. Um, but also yeah. we, it, as a command officer, I'm going to be much more hesitant to allow some of the more dangerous things that happen, um, because we've got a, uh, scene safety, um, that's right. what we have to remember, too, is that the, our rescuers, our first responders, are actually more important than the patients or the, or the victims. Well, did you, um, you learned that one of the other episodes, didn't you, Ed? The I and then them I and the them. you and yeah. all that stuff? That was, uh, yeah, it was something that hadn't come up to me until very recently, the, the I, us, them concept. And then I've just kind of pounded it into everyone's head since I've, I've heard it. So, yeah, you yeah. know. The protection of yourself and then the protection of the people that are helping the situation and then the protection of the people that called for help so yeah you you can't help anyone else if you can't help yourself correct um but we're doing the basics pump courses we're having we did that last month where we took uh the engine out after we had some repairs done on it um so i had those firefighters who are the interior guys to come over and actually be the pump operators. Because yep. when we pull up to a fire scene, we send the interior folks out to do their jobs, um, but there's going to be times where they may be the pump operator. Right. Um, so trying to make sure we're switching those roles up and also then having the uh, pump operators and the exterior folks who are not trained to go interior, but have them understand what it's like to be on the end of a hose line. What happens when a hose line gets stuck in a door? Right. How do we... How do you make sure the door gets chalked and stays chalked? Um, because those are the people on the outside yep. are going to be able to help the interior folks do a better job. Yep. Um, I think it's one thing that the public maybe doesn't fully understand because they see in the movies and in the big cities and stuff that's the production is that these guys are getting in these seats and they're doing the same job every time they go out and they don't realize that in the small communities we're in, we may be doing any position in any job. Right. There's so needed. much... We're not we're not experts in any of it, but we got to be good in all of it. Yep. Because exactly you said, we just don't do it a lot, but and, we do all of it. And we don't have enough resource. I, right. I was actually um, we don't scolded. have we don't have that dedicated guy for that specific job. Yeah, um, I was scolded on a fire scene where we had responded mutual aid to another town, um, and I was out there at rolling hose, and a gentleman walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Get up, chiefs don't roll hose." I said. This chief does. Yep. It, it's jobs got to get done. We're going right. to do this. We we can't get worried about what our hats say or what our shields say. Exactly. Um, we've got to all chip in. Well, it all comes from the top down, anyways. If you have someone, you know, a rookie that's just starting out, and sees the chief standing over in the corner all the time, that person's going to be less apt to jump in and start doing anything. Right. You know, if you see a chief that's going to jump in and do the hard work, now. If you're not a chief, you're standing around going, what can I do? You know, if he's doing that, I, I need to find something yeah. instead of just standing here like, like an idiot. Oh, no, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> yeah. I'm in trouble. <laughs> right. Idle hands, right? <laughs> but that's been, I mean, probably my favorite part of, of teaching some of these classes because we just don't do it. And it, some of the more uh, technical stuff, we don't even practice it because – you know, it's so important to get the basics, and I completely agree that those need to be hammered in. But when we start doing the one and two classes and some of the uh, 
more technical portions of the BLS class, you know, I'll start doing a skill and then someone will come up to me, one of the instructors, and go, hey, that's not, that's not like how I learned it or, you know, like maybe you should have done it this way. And I have to sit there and, and think back and go, yeah, maybe, you know, learn it a different way or maybe I just forgot that portion of it or I missed a part of it. And it's it's because we don't do it. So yeah. it's it's been so good to not only get those skills out there, but kind of test myself on it too. See, my problem as an instructor is that throughout the years that I've been doing this, I've learned so many different ways right. that when I go to teach it, I got to teach the basic ways that I have to out of the book. But I'm like, I also know these seven other ways <laughs> and I got to try to remember those so I can try to get as much out to the students as I can, but I only have a lot of time to do it. And I, remembering what I learned and trying to put it all together and give them all the tools that I can from me. And sometimes I get lost in that. Right. Or, yeah. And then I, I like, leave the class and I go, oh, there was two other ways I could have showed them. And For I, me, it's like I've learned it this way. I've been doing it this way for 15 years. Now I go to teach a class. I get the updated curriculum. I start going to the curriculum. And I'm like, they messed this all up. Right. <laughs> like, this is not the way I learned it. And then you got to relearn it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right. Well, then there's also the, uh, I mean, just like going to driver's ed or something. It's like, okay, this is how you're going to be tested. And here is how I'm going to teach you so that you pass your test. But then when you're done. <laughs> no, no, no. We no, teach them to no. a certain standard. No, absolutely. And they Stick to the curriculum. Standard. We do I'm everything appropriately. Well, yeah. I'm not yeah. saying it's not appropriate. I'm not saying to cut corners. But like. Like the lunar versus uh, the W's that we yep. just taught yep. last week. Yep. I'm pretty sure they still test on lunar. They if do. You, if you um, don't teach your yeah. students lunar. Or lunars. No, right? it's, it's now lunars with an S, so they made it more complicated. So here we go. It's already changed yeah. three times but, right. in our conversation. They have right. also updated it so that it kind of covers the three W's, but they call it something else. I think it's laps or something like that. It's similar to the who, what, where. But it's basically if you look uh, at it, where it's all the same. Yeah. It's just there's it's three different ways of doing it, but it's the air. same information. Right. But yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying. So now you go to a standardized test, and if they ask you what one of those acronyms mean, and you go, "No, I learned it this way," right? Then you have the potential of failing a student based on the information that you gave them. That's why we teach off the curriculum. Yeah, right. And I give them all information. Right. But yep. you still have to teach them the best way to do it and right. not necessarily just the curriculum the best way to do it's always the way in the book okay <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're going back to episode one where Aaron just looks at me and goes no <laughs> i get what you're saying all right i think we beat up on ed enough he's, yeah. he's starting to cower i don't know that's yeah you can't see it when i'm sulking in my seat right now <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to head on tonight today this morning? Tonight, Jesus. This afternoon? Well, I mean, it's, we it's, started this thing at 9 o'clock, so. Right. What, about, what about you, Chief? However, you got anything else you want to talk about while you're here as our guest? Well, I just wanted to bring up something from one of the previous podcasts that you had, and uh -oh. it was the. <laughs> was it something this, I said? I'll just. <laughs> this, this, John's got his finger on the button, but he's ready to cut it right now. Here's a disclaimer. We haven't discussed this yet, so we're all new to what he's going to say right this minute. So. And drum roll. <laughs> and I, so, I, yeah, I, I've listened to all the podcasts. I've awesome. been enjoying them as they come along. But um, the older population of firefighters is something that we are all dealing with in our departments. And it's something that I think the general public doesn't really realize of how the Maine State Fire Association, the, the average age of a firefighter in Maine is 53 years old. Right. Um, and that is concerning on multiple levels. But if we're talking about training, um, the idea of doing more digital training or having people study at home, um, that is something that we have to help enable our older generation of firefighters okay. to do. Um, and I think you'll be surprised to find out that a lot of the older folks are having smartphones and, and training on that. But if we can have people doing training and there's you have to always take it and understand that hands-on as opposed to the book learning but if the right. book learning can be done at their own time while they're still with their families maybe they're yeah. babysitting their grandkids uh, right but, um, and the grandkids can help them show how to use the computer to, to get to that but we've got to leverage the technology that's that's become so much more popular now and if we can give the people more time to be with their families and not have them come into the fire department for right. 
two nights a week for a training course if it can be one at home and there yeah. and yeah. they can spread it out with, with their schedule and, works and we talked about this yeah in one of i the, agree one of it's just it's ones. it's one of those I hate to say really? older pop. I think, older I think the gener- quotation was toss them in a burning building and that's the yes. only way to learn. No, no, no. So <laughs> there is absolutely a place for online learning. But what I was saying during that podcast, I believe, I don't know, I black out. <laughs> I go in and out. <laughs> um, is that you need hands-on training. Like you can't just have all supplemental training online. You need to, act, uh, you need to supplement that with hands-on. There is a place for online training, especially for the book. I mean, we're doing it with our rich Rick class, which you guys are welcome to attend. Yep. So please send people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah, a lot right. of, a lot of right. stuff we're teaching now is hybrid. It, it's, so it's both. Yeah. We're, online we're and giving them the textbook and the test and the homework to do at home. And then once they're done with that, they can come in. And then for those three days, we do skills. I mean, there there is a place for it. What we got to do is we kind of got to bridge over find the happy to yeah happy bridge medium. over to get some of these people who aren't tech not really older generation because there's some young people that hate technology to bridge them over to get them more used to and familiar with technology so we can progress that because i know i know actually probably five people a handful of people that are just like they still they literally go out and buy a flip phone just because they're sick of um their smartphone because there's just too much. It's just overstimulating, so they go back to a flip phone. But it was like I was talking so, to Chief Colin on those past podcasts. Is if if we're able to know our membership and know their right. capabilities and know who may need that extra help, and also maybe take some of our budget line to support them by getting the technology to them, yeah, to fix that problem. I'm well, not saying they don't want it. I'm saying some of them might need just a little help with it. Yeah. And what I was trying to lead to is that the post pandemic. Um, we got to start looking down that road for that light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's a train. But all of our school districts. I was told it <laughs> was a train too, but um, all of the school districts across the country have been investing heavily in additional laptops and um, Wi-Fi devices um, to help the students who are been um, schooling from home. Oh, do you remember and snow days, Ed? <laughs> when gone? When that's <laughs> when the pandemic is over and all those kids are back in school. I think that we're going to have an opportunity to to work with our local school districts to leverage that technology because I'm afraid that they're just going to wind up being sitting in a closet right. in a school. That's a and great idea. Can that be? Can we either do it through a borrow? Can it be donated? It, it all depends on how right. they got the federal yep. funding. But there's going to be a lot of, of of simple like Chromebook and simple laptop technology that I want to make sure that we can potentially leverage. That's, um, that's a great thought. I, it never even occurred to me until you're saying it right now. But absolutely, make those collaborate with those educators and. Yeah and uh, the facilitators of the equipment. And, and, yeah. and even if we have the have offered out to people who aren't so comfortable with technology to be flexible with our training to that, okay, the 20 people in the class, you five would like to do it in person, have those five come in, but let the other 15 people have the opportunity to do yeah. that appropriate. Yeah. Not we tried everything. that with our instructor class. If somebody couldn't make it, we'd have just... Uh, well, I tried to operate a Zoom link. I mean, we eventually <laughs> figured it out. Um, but it's, it is. It's a great option, especially for people who can't make it. Or, yeah. But that yeah. goes into what we've talked to before, that the facilitator needs to be just as tech-savvy, if not more tech-savvy, than the folks in the class. Because, you know, it, right. we did. We took a number of attempts to get the Zoom right. platform to work the way we wanted it to. And I, all my, my normal work... Uh, meetings and stuff like that not just fire department meetings were the same way you've got people that have dogs barking in the background or kids yelling hello is this on yeah exactly (laughs) tap 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 you know is it working and it's it's just as much can you tell i'm not wearing pants (laughs) (laughs) if you're going to ask someone to uh, participate in that you need to be able to answer those questions you know right why why is my microphone not working I don't know, you know. <laughs> I don't know, Karen. Turn it on. Plug it in. And that's where going back to the school, they, I, I'm sure they bought the same, 100 of the same laptops, for example. Oh, yeah. Right. So if we have that commonality and we can, like kind of a loaner, we loan the books out, the textbook out, we can loan that device out, and that would also make yeah. it easier for us to, to control that technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
So. I think there's a lot. I mean, you were talking about the fire service, the, the average age getting higher and higher. Uh, you're going to run into that with all the trade jobs. I mean, that they've known this for many, many years now, that getting younger people into these trade jobs, and I think we kind of fall into that as, as, a, as a career field, as kind of a, a trade work. Oh. And, uh, I mean, look at the, the education opportunities that have been lost recently. Uh, you really can't get into fire and EMS short of joining as a junior and having a sponsoring department to bring you up to that level where you used to be able to just go to a vocational school. Right. Yeah. Uh, and remember, Maine is the oldest state in the country. We have the oldest average population. And unfortunately, we continue to see the brain drain of kids going to school outside of the state and, and not yep. returning back. Yeah. Um, so well, it's, it's not just a fire issue in Maine. It's, it's a Maine issue. Of, right. right. And politics is kind of where we... We <laughs> draw the don't line. Go, we don't, don't, need, we don't need to jump down that. I didn't go there either. You're the one who said we the don't most swear. We don't do politics, <laughs> and we don't mention people's names anymore. Any, <laughs> no, no, never did. No organizations, right? Or their activities. So, John, anything else? Because this is going downhill <laughs> too fast. Yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you all for the opportunity. This is something that I'm pretty yeah. passionate about. Um, I've been, as I said before, I've been involved with it um, for well over 35 years, um, and it's been the last 10 years that I've really been working in, in the fireside. Um, but it, it's uh, Maine is the a great outdoor state with a lot of outdoor recreation, and it surrounds us. And like I yeah. said before, this may not be high in a mountaintop somewhere, but someone doesn't have to be very far in the woods to, to need very specific and technical training, and people who are trained with, the, with those equipment as well too. Right. So. Um, I'm planning on hosting another one of the uh, uh, fire EMS combo trainings. Um, awesome. it, it was a pretty good day, and, and we want to move on from where we were before. We did some very basic stuff. We didn't really have much time to do in the woods, and that's yep. the next step would be to, to actually to do a scenario um, where members are at their stations, and we do it um, real and, and kind like of real time, kind of real time, have them come in, and so they can see the flow of uh, yep. the people coming in and. and getting out into the trail system and do a multi-mile carry out. Right. Well, I don't want to speak for the other three gentlemen, but it, it's been a very good Bay floor discussion with you, I think. And I'd, I'd like to have you back if you got another topic sure. know, that you'd exactly. like to come chat back. I'd, I'd love to wipe you Any back. shameless plugs you want to do? Any upcoming <laughs> training? Not particularly, no. All right. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Right. It's, we're Not just yet. getting I'll, back yeah. to this. Other right. than, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in mind, it'll be, it'll be late summer, early fall when we do the, the training. Uh, mm -hmm. My full-time position is working for a youth summer camp in town. Um, nice. So I'm about to go into my silly season. Right. Ah, um, yeah. but, uh, Crazy, hectic mode. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely uh, um, share that information out once we All schedule right. later this nice. summer. Well, yeah. thanks for coming in. It was yeah. great. It was, it was a good talk. Rich training in June. Open to everyone. Yep. That was John's Casco plug there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Get the word out. All right. All right. Yeah.